Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, what's going on? Happy Monday. I, uh, I'm getting really excited here. Turkey season's coming up here in Pennsylvania and has opened in a lot of other states across the board. So this podcast this week will be pretty timely with talking about hunting mountain gobblers. So big woods, steep terrain, unbroken timber, turkeys. So really excited to have Jake here on the podcast. Jake Stanish is a friend of mine and an avid turkey hunter that will be uh, joining me here to talk about some you know tactics and and more or less just the overall atmosphere of you know hunting in these type areas and it can be some really good you know training stuff for going out west or even deer scouting everything else it's it's cool to be able to do that um, you know through turkey hunting and not to mention turkeys are just extremely fun to hunt the eastern birds are are really difficult. Um, which I know in a lot of in some places, um, in different subspecies, they are a little bit easier to call in. But here they're really really tough tough birds to hunt, and and but it is just it's uh, a ton of fun from that aspect. So that's what's uh, you know been on my mind here a lot uh, recently. And in addition to that, been still out scouting for you know well turkeys and then also uh white tails and hoping to come across first elk shed antler which uh it's, i've talked about a little bit but the amount of people that are out is crazy but now that things are you know fishing seasons opened up here some other things that people are starting to dwindle off and there's still bulls holding on in some areas i saw a small six by six the other day that uh had both sides still on and then the other two bulls he was with were already growing um you could see probably about four or five inches off the top of their head already coming up so I mean, as soon as they're dropping them they're you know starting their next set of antlers so yeah so that's what i've been spending a ton of time doing that this spring has been awesome i've really put a lot of time into try to find some new um areas to hunt whitetails and everything and i think i'd mentioned this before and i'm not 100 percent sure but have uh chris derrick and maybe a few other guys from sick of gear coming out to do a hunt do some product testing and do the so get the whole aspect of you know hunting these pennsylvania mountain whitetails for a week in november so that'll be fun but with that being said you know i feel like i need to you know the pressure's on to find some you know great areas and find some mature deer to hunt and yeah i think i think i've you know i've found some really really good areas haven't come across a lot of really big sheds um not that i would share those anywhere (laughs) i i usually keep anything uh really kind of tight-lipped when it comes to big deer just because the fact now that with you know this platform and and social media and everything else i've found that i need to really be a little bit more quiet of some of the some of the deer or anything that i do find because it's uh i guess when you put that stuff public information it can be you know how it can be it can just uh really take away from your spot when you get other people coming in which is unfortunate but that's the way that it is and i guess i put myself in that sort of position so i can't complain but 
just so you know, if you whenever I post pictures of sheds like big ones and stuff on social media, normally they don't come from this year. I usually the deer's dead already, or uh, I don't hunt that area anymore. I usually keep them pretty tight lipped. But with that being said, the whole reason for saying that was I'm trying to find some some really awesome you know deer and places to hunt, and I think I've done that. Uh, just was checking my. I was using my phone to track the how much I've been walking, so I don't know how exactly accurate it is. I I just ordered a, a Garmin Phoenix watch, which I'm super pumped about, and can't believe I haven't bought one in the past for tracking all this stuff. But anyways, my phone has says that I've walked a little over 180 miles so far since March, since uh, the first weekend of March. So. It's a lot, put a lot of miles on the boots and still plan on getting some more in here scouting and then, you know, rolling in a turkey season here. So that's, uh, my, my, if you want to go my shed per mile ratio, I'm not even going to calculate that because it's pretty bad, <laughs> but I guess if you want to, want to find a bunch of different spots and stuff, you, you got to put the boots on the ground and if you can, um, so I guess with that being said, let's get into the the partners here, the podcast and the partners that we have, the University of Elk Hunting, Corey Jacobson, Elk 101 have put together a fully comprehensive course. It's an annual course, annual membership to go on and learn everything as the planning phases of elk hunting. So from all the way from the beginning of trying to figure out the logistics to the calling to hunting, to packing out the animal, getting the meat home, everything is included in that course. It's extremely, you know, worthwhile and awesome. And that's so that course, uh, Corey's offered and all the listeners of the podcast, 20% off. So you save $20 by entering the code East meets West at checkout. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from you guys that have already purchased the course through this and really good, really good feedback. And I, can't uh, thank you enough for supporting me by using that you know discount code and and you know being able to help yourselves out by you know getting that information that's all put in one place there. And so I'll I'll get Corey back on the podcast here soon to cover another you know a few aspects of that course and just elk hunting in general. Before we go into the next partner, I did want to add a little quick note here that if you. I want to get some more feedback on people and what you want to know specifically when it comes to planning Western hunts or just Western hunting in general, whether that's, you know, the food, you know, meal planning, fitness stuff, gear, specific, you know, gear, um, tactics, uh, different parts of the logistics to plan these hunts. I, I want to know, you know, where the gaps are, you know, with my goal being helping people, you know, reduce that learning curve and, and really, you know, fill those gaps that you might not be getting from other places. I, I want to be that resource. So, but without getting feedback, it's, you know, it's tough to be able to do that. So it's really important. If you want send me an email, um, you can click on the website and the contact us, fill out the form there. It'll come to my email, uh, or send me a message on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I don't check as much, but if you send it on Instagram or an email, then I'll get back to you right away with um and give my thoughts on the topic and get some guests that'll line up to you know answer these questions and everything. So a lot of cool things coming up in the pipeline here. 
And so with that being said, Heather's Choice, another partner of the, the podcast. So Heather has created these meals, these dehydrated meals, They're gluten-free, dairy-free, everything else, clean, high-protein, high-fat meals that taste awesome. And anything from the little packer and snacks to dinners and breakfast, she's got it all and been using this stuff now for four years from the beginning and really, really love that stuff. So if you enter the code East Meets West, you can get free shipping on any orders over $99. If your order doesn't hit $99, still please use the link on the website under the partner's page. Just click on her little uh, icon, the Heather's Choice icon, and that helps show that the traffic's coming from from this podcast. And lastly, Maven Optics. So Maven has created the highest quality binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes on the market that they can do that at half the price of their competitors by using the direct-to-consumer business model. So they're selling only online at shows and they're able to put out some really high quality glass at a lower price. You can, If you check out their B-Series line, you can completely customize them, different colors on all the pieces, engravings, whatever you want. It's pretty cool stuff. So if you do order a set of binoculars, spotting scope, rifle scope, just enter in the code East Meets West dash gift and you'll get a free gift with that. I don't know what that gift's going to be because it changes every month, um, but definitely if you're going to do that, check it out, use that code and pick yourself up uh, a pair of Maven Optics. All right, uh, let's uh, let's get right into this here with Jake Stanish and some mountain turkey hunting. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast. I'm sitting here in my basement this uh, this nice evening here with a good buddy of mine, Jake Stanish. What's up, Jake? Not too much, man. How are you? Ah, can't complain. Can't complain. It's uh, some nice weather we're having this weekend, so got out in the woods a little bit as as you did too so not absolutely too bad. yeah it was a great weekend you know finally the first nice weather weekend we've had in months it seems like you know we were yeah. we were battling the snow for it seemed like ever we'd start to lose some of it and then we'd get more of it or it'd rain yep yeah we had snow till the middle of march and as we're recording this it's the first uh end of the first week of april here so it's finally weather's breaking and it's starting to feel like turkey season yeah, yeah, this weekend was a really good weekend to be in the woods, you know, at least from what you and I were talking about before we started to record, you know, you had some action out in the woods, you heard some birds and gobbled some in with your mouth, just kind of messing around and called in two nice long beards, so I'm sure that was fun to see. Yeah, oh, that was that was awesome, and and I talked about a little bit on the the one intro podcast here, but yeah, I was I was telling Jake beforehand, they were all the way across uh, the other side of the, the river there flew down across the hill and came running up to me with mouth gobbling and making noise in my mouth. And it's so funny because I, that would one never happen during the season. And, and two, them birds are so smart, but sometimes they can be so dumb at the same time. But I, as, and again, as we were talking is it, um, some of these birds that we're hunting, I don't think see people as much in some of, you know, some of these areas. So no, I mean, you can, you can just tell in some of those areas where, where you and I, where you get off of the main road, you know, a mile or more sometimes is all it takes. And let's face it, most people are lazy when it comes to hunting, as I'm sure you've noticed over the course of your hunting career. If you put yep. a little bit of elevation change or 
a long walk in front of somebody where they can't walk a gated road or a logging road or, you know, anything that they have to navigate in the dark, it seems like you can really have a honey hole to yourself and there's going to be nobody else around you. It's almost like having your own piece of private land to hunt. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And, and, you know, the areas that we're hunting just for everyone's, you know, kind of, um, idea of it, try to picture it. It's similar to the, I mean, it's the same areas that I'm hunting whitetails in for the most part, it's big woods and the areas I've been scouting and you do a lot of hunting in is steep, just big ridges and, and big woods type terrain. You know, how, how would you kind of describe that, Jake? That's a pretty good description. You know, I hunt a pretty wide variety of areas. I'll hunt anything from what we would call like mountainous terrain to the big woods, to some farms and some strip mines around here. But I kind of like to hunt it all, but I really favor the big woods and the, the mountains areas. To me, it's more of a challenge. It's more of an adventure. You know, you just can't drive down the road and look out in a field on a rainy day and find a strutter and make a plan to go circle around him and get in front of him and his hens to try to call him. And you actually have to go out and, and do some quad work on the hills and yeah. <laughs> find the turkeys, whether you hear them or you see them or, you know, however you come across them. So I just like the challenge of it and being able to, to get away and match wits with a turkey that might not have ever heard a human before or seen a human before. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy to think about, you know, Pennsylvania is known for being such a heavily uh, populated hunting state and it is, but there's some areas that you can get to that are super remote and, and that's something you and I always look for more or less from standpoint. I know I don't like seeing other hunters in the woods and it's just some beautiful country that you're getting into these, you know, these, uh, these turkeys in that's for sure. Absolutely. And you know, something else cool about it is just some of the things that you can see if you get off the, the main road far enough that you see more animals like in their natural habitat, like you might see gobblers fighting or, you know, a gobbler breeding a hen, or you might see fawns born at that time of the year. If you get away from all the other pressure and all the other hunters where a lot of these animals feel safe, you get to see a lot of really cool things. Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. And, and kind of skipped over that a little bit here at the beginning, but Jake, do you want to do a quick introduction of yourself and, and, uh, just kind of, you, you also run a podcast too. So he's not, uh, he's not, um, you know, shy on the mic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So my name's Jake Stanish. I'm from St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, and I am a turkey hunting addict. <laughs> <laughs> I've been turkey hunting since I was probably five or six years old with my dad. You know, at the time in Pennsylvania, we couldn't start to actually carry a gun and hunt and participate in the hunt until we were 12. Recently, they changed that probably what, Bo, in the last five to 10 years? Yeah, probably, probably five years or so, I'd say. So I've been going with my dad ever since, you know, I, I, I remember this plain as day back when I was a kid, well before then, I don't even know how I got this DVD or how I talked my, my parents into getting me this, but I remember watching Real Trees All Stars of Spring 3. Why I remember this, I, I have no idea, but <laughs> I remember watching this video and thinking, man, this is cool. Seeing them call turkeys in, see turkeys up close and kind of from then on, I was just obsessed with them. When we were in the woods hunting, I'd always ask my dad questions about, you know, show me turkeys. I want to see where turkeys live. I want to know what they eat. Show me what they sound like. And we were out fishing one night and I heard a turkey gobble and he looks at me because he could see the, the amazement in my face when I heard this. And he's like, do you want to see if we can go find them? And I kind of gave him this dumbfounded look like the heck with this fishing. Let's go. Yeah. So we went and got closer and heard these turkeys gobbling on the roost. And from then on, I've been, I've been hooked. And, you know, my 
obsession has taken me from Pennsylvania to Florida for Osceola, out west to Wyoming, and then a few other states around Pennsylvania. Haven't completed my Grand Slam yet. Need a Rio to finish that off, but that's going to be coming here in the next few years. Nice. That's that's awesome. And it's funny, Jake and I always uh, we always joke with each other. As obsessed I am with deer hunting, he is his turkey hunting. He's so stressed out in the spring as I am in the fall. And we're both kind of mixing in each other's games as you get, you know, you've been really into archery hunting the last few years too. And, and I've been getting really into turkey hunting again. And and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. But I always, when I think of turkey hunting, Jake's one of those guys that, that comes to mind. So it's it's pretty cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, it's it's been overdue to, to do another podcast. You know, you and I are, are both busy with our respective podcasts with you with the East Meets West Hunt and mine with Elevate Your Game Radio starting last fall in October. It's been it's been busy and there's been a lot of lessons learned, but overall I'm happy with, you know, the the Overall, I'm happy with where I am and, you know, how, how many people were able to influence and just the different people you're able to meet. I'm sure you yeah. testify to that as well. It's just cool to see all who you can meet doing these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've had some awesome guests on the show and, and a whole wide variety of different people. And some people, I remember you were telling me, you're like, I've looked up to these turkey hunters or whatever deer hunters, everything, you know, my whole life. And now I get to interview them, you know, and talk with them on the podcast. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I know the one I was probably the most excited about was talking to Denny Galvis, you know, somebody who, if anybody out there is listening, it's a turkey hunter, more than likely you've heard of him. He won the Grand Nationals back in the early 80s, and he's just a, he's a turkey fanatic. He actually doesn't even kill turkeys anymore. He just would rather go out and call them in and, and film them and learn from them and just has such respect for him that he doesn't want to shoot him. You know, he's got a, a rule. He's never going to hurt one again, so he just goes out and takes his camera calls him in for fun and, and learns from it. And the guy's just so passionate about it. I mean, if he calls you, you better plan on knocking off at least an hour in your schedule so that you've <laughs> got time to, to talk to him because the guy's extremely knowledgeable and passionate about this. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And, and you can hear it in those type of people's voice when you talk to him, you know, and that's, and the, you know, that's the way like when I, when I was uh, interviewing Corey Jacobson on the podcast, he's big, you know, in elk hunting and elk calling, and you can just hear the passion, you know, in his voice and similar situation with Denny um, from the turkey hunting world. And it's, it's pretty cool to get to, you know, definitely meet that variety of um, people. So that's, that's awesome about it. And, and yeah, you and I have kind of grown up doing the, the podcast here around the same time, you know, so it's, we've, you know, learned from each other and the, the growing pains and everything of trying to uh, learn audio equipment when you don't have a background in that, right? Yeah. Isn't it funny? Everything that we probably could have learned that is going to be, I'll say, useful to us right now that we joked about in college, like, oh, I'm never going to need to know that. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, everything. Everything seems like it's funny every day with with East meets West and everything. It, it's a challenge because I'm always coming across something that I can't figure out and it's taken... And it's something I know everyone else is, it's someone or someone else that comes easy to. And then, but then if you take a look back, you know, you and I were talking the other day about, you know, sometimes we get caught up and, and, you know, trying to do good things with it and this and that. And you don't realize once you look back, say you look back six months and be like, what you didn't know then that now it's just, you've, you've done it. And, and it's just, it's really cool. That's for sure. Absolutely. Like you said, there's a lot of growing pains, but at the same time, being able to look back and see just how far you've 
grown both as an individual and in professionally and being able to host and produce a high quality podcast and everything else you've got to learn along the way, like for you running your own business. Yep. There's a lot to learn with that, that I'm sure <laughs> you would have never guessed you had even had to know or think about before. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm still learning, especially the, the whole managing the finance side of things. Yeah. That's not my strong suit, but yeah, you learn, definitely learn. But yeah, so that's, so kind of what I want to dive into on this podcast, Jake, is talking about hunting mountain, you know, big woods, turkeys. We got turkey season coming up here shortly. I mean, most states, probably when this releases, it'll be right around opening day. It looks like middle April. I'm trying to release this. And and then we open up the last weekend in April. Well, youth is the weekend before that, but it's getting close. And and I think uh, this is a good time to talk turkeys. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, my, my wife will testify to that, that turkeys are on my brain 365 days a year. And every hour of the day, I'm thinking either how I'm going to find turkeys or how I'm going to kill this gobbler that I've been hunting. And I'm sure she's glad that uh, I'm over here tonight talking to you about it. So she doesn't have to hear me calling down the basement or building calls or having somebody call me. We talk for hours. She just re- walks through the kitchen and the living room, just kind of rolls her eyes at me some nights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's, you probably tell her everything you're thinking about turkey hunting. She's just sitting there like, geez, can he, can he she's like, this somewhere? turkey just needs to get shot. So I don't have to hear about him anymore. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> but all kidding aside, you know, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. You know, she loves to hunt with me. So we go out and we turkey hunt quite a bit and yeah. we got our first couple turkeys on film. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. First one was in the fall. I was out actually archery hunting hunting at night, ran into a flock of like 30 birds and scattered them once they got in a limb. And we snuck back in there in the morning and were able to call the brood hen back in. And she got a nice shot at that one at like 30 yards and got that on video. And that was a really cool experience because there's not too many times where you can capture the raw emotion of somebody getting their first, whatever, whether it's a turkey, a buck, an elk, whatever it was, because even if that's the only part of the hunt that you get right, and you've got to do recreates for the rest of it. That's the most important part. You can't ever replicate that excitement. Yeah. No, yeah. Capturing the moment right after the shot. That's especially with turkey hunting too. It's like, it's an instant rush. You know, when you're shooting deer, say with a bow, he usually doesn't die right there. So he runs off and there's excitement, but you're always unsure of, you know, yeah. what happened. Yep. And with a turkey, you know, when he goes down mm-hmm. and that's awesome. That's what's. That's what's so fun. I mean, I, I love turkey hunting. I love calling to animals. That's why I've fallen in love with hunting elk. And like I said, you need to do that someday because I know you'll get addicted to oh, it. Oh, I know I do. It's definitely on my bucket list. Yeah, because you'll get absolutely addicted to it. It's just the interaction in the spring. I mean, especially after, you know, for me, after a long winter, everything else and everything's starting, weather's getting warmer, things are greening up, the woods are coming alive, turkeys are gobbling. It's It's a good time of year, you know. Absolutely. I think spring is probably my favorite time to be in the in the woods in general, even though after getting a bird dog, the fall is definitely a yeah. close second. But, you know, the spring's just a great time of the year to be in the woods. Everything's starting to come back to life, like you said, after a long winter. And the woods just smell so good right now. Yeah. Oh, it does. It's just like a fresh, I don't know how to explain it, but like a fresh smell. And and like this weekend when I was I was out, you know, first light basically you know climbing up on the ridge and the woods just come alive and gobbles you hear them across you know different ridges and everything else it just gets you fired up absolutely it's like you're sitting out in the woods and 
you get up there at a stupid hour. I mean, at least I do. I, mean, <laughs> I normally get up somewhere at the, in the three o'clock hour to get out in the woods just because I'm very particular. I want to be the first person that even thinks about parking where I'm going to park. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So these, these turkeys, let's, let's, uh, so you, to uh, kind of explain again the area as, as you did, we were talking about there's a difference between say mountain hunting turkeys, basically you know, the, and some more of the steeper terrain and big woods. But for this discussion, let's let's start off with like the mountain side of things, the steeper terrain. You know, where are you finding these kind of turkeys out? Are they roaming everywhere, or what? What are you kind of looking for? No, for the most part, I find turkeys are a lot like deer. You know, they're going to take yeah, they're going to take the path of least resistance to go from point A to point B. And for a general rule of thumb, what I've found at least, you know, it might not always be 100% foolproof, but if a gobbler is up on one of these really tall, really steep mountains, nine times out of 10, they're by themselves. Because when they're up there and they're gobbling up there, their sound carries all the way down the valley so that any other hens can hear him from a longer ways away. And a lot of times you'll find that their strut zones are up on top of these hills for the same reason. So I find them up on these steep ridges, usually out on a point that way that their sound can go, you know, a couple different directions. It can go down the hollow to their left and then down to the hollow to their right. And if they're not on top of the hill, sometimes they'll be on say the top third of the hill for the most part as a general rule. But if it's a really nice day and there's not a lot of wind, usually you'll find them up at the very top of the hill or just down off the top for the most part from what I've found. Okay. But I mean, you can find them, you know, down t- closer to the bottom or if there's some pines, maybe halfway up the hill, but usually they're on the, the top third of the hill from what I found, as long as the weather's decent. Yeah. Okay. So if it's real windy, they kind of tuck down in the valleys a little bit. Yeah. That's what I found that they do a lot of times. They just try to take it down off the hill and tuck into some hemlocks or into a little hollow just to get out of the wind, or they'll be on the opposite side of the ridge if the wind's blowing a particular way and it it favors them just so that they can, they can get out of the weather. Cause turkeys sleep in trees, you know, they roost in trees at night and they're usually anywhere from 25 or 30 feet off the ground, sometimes more. So imagine being in your archery stand and, uh, getting blown around from, from left to right and front to back all day. Yeah. After a little bit of that, it starts to make you a little bit nervous. So think of a turkey as the same way, but they have to stay up there and, and sleep all night. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. The, so with, um, with their roosting locations, do you typically find them, you know, up on the top if the weather's okay, or are they more or less in valleys and, and on the side hills? Uh, I find them on the side hills, but usually towards the top of the hill, more like if there's a nice bench towards the top of the hill, nine times out of 10, they're going to be up there mm-hmm. or towards the top. Okay. And, and uh, as far as like certain trees that you would consider roosting trees, is there a, a certain type that they like to roost in more than others? From what I found, it's normally hemlock and hardwood trees. So anything from oak to cherry, if you have any black walnut, you know, trees like that. I've seen them in beech trees, but around here, most of the beech have a blight. So the the beech are dying off, but really any kind of tall tree, sometimes heck, even maple trees, anything with a nice long straight limb. I actually saw a turkey a couple of weeks ago that I heard from, from one ridge and circled around and got above them just to try to find out where he was roosting. And I went a little too far and I looked down off of the bench and he was like 50 or 60 yards from me, and he was strutting back and forth across the limb. Really? Yep. On the limb? Yep. But unfortunately, my camera lens I had with me was a little bit 
too small and I couldn't get that nice close up of him strutting on the limb. It was only a Jake, but it's still something you don't get to see all the time. He just kept going in and out of strut and spinning around. And, really? I've yep. never seen that before. That was really cool. Huh. Yeah. I, I really didn't even realize they did that. That's awesome. And yeah, it's something you don't see everywhere. That's for sure. No, you don't. You know, it's not too often you get that close to turkeys and they don't spook. You can actually just sit there and kind of take it all in and watch them. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. So you'd mentioned, you know, about where they typically, you know, would roost at and everything, but as far as with them being on those, the ridge tops, you mentioned about them being able to gobble down the valleys. Is there any other reason that keeps them on those, you know, ridges? Is there any food that they're looking, they're keying in on, um, any different thing from the vegetation standpoint? Um, from what I've seen, for the most part, they like to roost up that high, like you said, to get the, their sound directed from the from the biggest area that they possibly can. But a lot of times you'll find food up on those benches. You'll find anything from acorns, beech nuts, cherries sometimes. And it's just an easier way for them to go because a lot of times I've found you always want to try to get above a turkey if you're going to work them, even with them or above them because they don't like to come downhill. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just because if they go down and they don't find what they want, then they got to walk back up. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Like you said, they're lazy. Yeah. And it's funny because they, I mean, they're, they have a lot of similar characteristics to deer in this type of terrain, you know, where they're living at and doing everything. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I typically am not seeing much turkey sign and thick stuff where deer will go in that. But I mean, as far as like the mountain laurel and stuff, they seem to stay in the open timber a little bit more unless you see anything. The you know, only different. time that I really encounter turkeys in thicker areas later in the year, sometimes you'll find a gobbler that follows a hen back when she goes to sit on her nest to lay an egg or to sit on the nest for the rest of the day. Sometimes they'll follow her back to that thick area, so they won't go completely into it, but a lot of times later in the year, mid-morning, you can pick turkeys up right on the boundary changes right there of, you know, thick to open hardwoods. Okay. Huh. That's a good, that's a good point. So you want to make sure you, you don't completely count those areas out, but you have to find a way that you can get to them easily and you know, they can get to you because if it's too hard for them to come to you, they're going to hang up and they're not going to want to come because you're trying to reverse nature in the springtime because as nature has it set, you're the gobbler's supposed to go to the hen. Yeah. So what, what are you doing? Um, like if you had a game plan to go hunt in the morning, um, what's, what's kind of, what's your game plan look like? So what I typically do if I'm going to hunt in the morning and I, I kind of, I know the area I'm going into, you know, I'm not going in blind for the most part. I'll go to an area where I've either heard turkeys or saw turkeys before. It could have been the day before I could have roosted one. Let's just say I'm going in and I know I have a good idea where they're at. I'll get in there as early as I can. You know, I'll leave the house at it's stupid 30 in the morning and <laughs> I'll get back in there and I want to be back and where my listening spot's going to be a good half hour or more before I even thinks about getting daylight. I've found out over the years that a lot of times you walk past turkeys climbing these hills that you don't even know existed until you get above them and they cut loose and you're looking down like, man, I don't know how I got past him. But if you weren't there at the at dark 30, you know, you weren't, you didn't have a chance to even get by him without spooking him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes on these steep mountains, if you spook one turkey, there might be another one just around the point that hears that. He may not take off and fly away, but a lot of times they know something's up and they may not gobble or they might not come in when you start to work them. Okay. So I like to get up on these ridges. 
or up on a bench if I know, have an idea where he's going to be. And I try to get in the vicinity of where he is. If I know exactly where he is, then obviously I'm going to get a lot closer. And, you know, certain turkeys have certain characteristics, just like your whitetails and your elk do. Sometimes he'll fly down and he'll always head to the right. So then I'll try to be on the right side of him. I may not always try to hug him, you know, and be 50 yards or sitting underneath him. It just depends on, on what the turkey likes to do. If I know he's going to go a certain direction, I'm going to be sitting over there waiting for him. Mm-hmm. So when you were saying about how you go into these areas because you found them, you know, in the past or anything. So if you were going into a brand new area, typically you're scouting ahead of time. Uh, for the most part, but as the season goes on, sometimes I'll get a hot tip from one of my friends that doesn't turkey hunt that's maybe out fly fishing in the evening and says, hey man, I heard a ton of turkeys gobbling on this ridge over here. You might want to go over and check them out tomorrow. I think you're going to be in a good spot. Then I'll go in and if it's a if, if it's a completely new area that I've never hunted, I'll go over and I don't go too, too aggressive the first day in there. I don't want to bust anything out of there. Kind of the same principle as a lot of people have when you're hunting whitetails. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of start, you go in in stages. You'll go so far, I'll go maybe halfway up the hill and I'll stop on a bench where I've got a big tree or a big rock I can use as a something to lean against and I'll stop and listen and see if I can hear them. And then depending on what the terrain looks like and I'll look at it on the map and I'll either go halfway up the hill and stop and listen or I'll go all the way to the top and listen. But usually I don't go busting all the way up to the top unless I've been in there a time or two and just to get a general idea where your turkeys are going to be. Yep. Okay. And, um, and then as far as like, so can you hear pretty good usually from those benches as you're going up or, or I guess the way you're pointing it out is you have a hot tip that this ridge or this point has them on. What if you're going to a, a new spot and you have no idea where the turkeys are? Are you going to like a certain place to listen? Um, whether that's preseason scouting or that's in season, are you doing anything like that or not? Not really. I am. Um, a lot of times too, I just try to go with my gut instinct and try to think like a bird, think like a turkey and just think, okay, he's got a couple different things. He's trying to satisfy himself with that time of year. That's hens to breed. They still have to eat and the turkeys need water, but water is your enemy during the spring because you don't want to be anywhere too close to a river or stream because that's going to drown out how well you can hear. I'm sure you've found that out, you know, this weekend because the streams are very high right now. Yep. No, that's, that's completely true. And and I've found in, in the different, the less steeper areas, sometimes they'll, they'll roost right down along the stream, you know, and some in hemlocks or whatever it is, but you can't be down there for listening. No, you can't. You can't hear anything. No, no, you can't. So I usually, and if I'm, like I said, completely don't have never been there before. I'll try to just go as high as I can or try to find like a log and road, walk that up the hill and just, you know, stop every so often and in areas that look like there could be turkeys in them. And I'll keep, I always keep my eye out in the morning in the dark. Uh, sometimes I use like a red or a green light mm-hmm. when I'm walking up. And if I find fresh scratching, I'll usually tend to start scanning the treetops with the binoculars a little bit, looking for birds in the trees. Cause that's something a lot of people forget about doing is you can sometimes find turkeys on your way in in the dark if you get them silhouetted on the ridge yeah no that's yeah especially depending on cloud cover and everything else you can you can see you know somewhat up along those areas and it's 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 almost uh unnerving when you do when you do find one like that you know whether depending on how close you are like oh shit yeah i got yep got too close or whatever it is but like you said if you're in there early enough you're not really spooking them or anything because they're up there sleeping and 
animals are walking underneath them all night, you know? Yeah. So really all you sound like is just a big deer walking up the hill to a turkey. And usually if it's that early and you're still walking up the hill, their heads are tucked underneath their wings and they're sound asleep. So they, even if they heard you, they'd still have to do a substantial amount of movement to be able to even come to. And a good way to think about it is if you're sound asleep at, in your house and your dog starts barking in the middle of the night, you just, you just kind of jump up out of bed and you really don't know what's going on. So a turkey would kind of do the same thing. They'd, they'd just become woken up real quick and they wouldn't really know what's going on. A little disoriented yeah. for a minute. <laughs> yeah, and kind of not know what's up. Yeah. And um, so another question I had is, and this is even being uh, for selfish reasons too, is, you know, as I'm hunting new areas and, and everything else, if you're looking at a map, and you're like, all right, this looks like an area that might have turkeys or is, do you, do you pick out anything that looks, I don't know, that you would say, I want to hunt here? I do. Um, I've really only gotten into the mapping side of it maybe within the last probably two years. I've always used like a GPS and a, a compass and a map, you know, just for navigation purposes to get in and out of some of these areas. Yeah. But I would say in the last year or two, I really started to kind of, I wouldn't say study maps, but I've looked at them from time to time to try to find new areas. And a lot of times I just look for areas that kind of pique my interest of, you know, I've never been in here. This place just looks cool. It looks like a fun place to go explore. Yeah. So I'll look at those areas. A lot of times I'll try to find different areas I haven't been to that have like a lot of habitat diversity. Because like we talked about a few minutes ago, turkeys always like that border cover or that edge, you know, whether it's the field in the woods thick and a thick area like a clear cut or maybe beach brush or mountain laurel areas where the hens could nest you want to find that because sometimes they'll follow those hens to the nest later on in the season so you want to have the the variety of habitat and then you have to make sure that there's some type of food in there and around here most of your food in the mountains and in the big woods are going to be your mass crops and as they get lower in elevation down towards the fields you know, you might find some fruit trees. There might be some apples from last fall left over or some berries that are starting to, to come up, clover, grasses. Another thing to keep in mind too is if you find any springs uh, high up in the valleys, keep your eyes open for this little green plant called watercress. Turkeys absolutely love it. Hmm. Interesting. What What does uh, the plant exactly look like? Is there a way of describing it? Um... Basically, it, it looks similar to clover. Okay. It look It's just a small little green plant, but if you would look in like a, it doesn't grow in areas that are super, super wet, but it's in areas that are more like swampy than anything, and it's kind of picky. I found it in areas I can think of off the top of my head, there's two spots, and both of them are kind of on the edge of old clear cuts. Okay. Where there happens to be like a drainage that comes down. Yep. Woodcock like those areas also, so if for any of the bird hunters out there, that might be an easy place to find it. Interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd never never heard that one before, so I'll have to definitely take note of it as as I'm out looking around. And that's why that's why I said earlier. I said if I if I need anything, no turkey hunting, I call Jake. He's my guy. <laughs> and you're and, my buck guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we, <laughs> in the spring, he's he's probably annoyed by me texting. I got a bird doing this, or he's <laughs> slipping me doing that, and it's it's funny. But um, yeah, that's I mean this type of area, and I mean these. 
these type of areas that that we're hunting here for turkeys it spans the whole way up the east coast you know all the way up to the appalachian mountains you can you know we were talking about virginia and and everything else i mean they're all similar type you hunt new york you know there's a lot of areas with big woods type mountain birds that are you know quite a bit different than hunting field turkeys absolutely the one thing that kind of kills me at I'll just come out and say it. I absolutely hate field turkeys with a passion. It's just, (laughs) it's frustrating to me that I've got to walk a half a mile to move 50 yards on a field turkey because you've got to go back into the woods and circle around them and try to get ahead of them. That's just not my forte. I'm not used to that. I'm impatient by nature. Yeah. So if nine times out of 10, if a turkey's not doing what I want them to do, I'll belly crawl back out of sight if I have to, let them walk off. I'll drop down on the bench below them or above them, depending on the situation, the setup, and I'll get around them. Yeah. You know, that's one thing you can't be afraid to do is move. In these big woods and mountain regions, that's where knowing the lay of the land really comes into play. Yeah. Is knowing how you can move around and navigate these areas quickly and quietly. Yep. Because sometimes moving up another 30 or 40 yards is all it takes to get that turkey to come in. Yeah. I mean, you've been in those situations where... You're working a bird for an hour and he gets to that point where he's like, nope, that's it. She's supposed to come to me. This isn't uh, how it's supposed to play out. Yep. Yeah. They don't want, they don't want to come that extra little bit. They're like, all right, she's going to come to me. You know, that, that, that happens, you know, and you hear it. And I'd say one out of every three turkey hunting stories, someone's, how, how did they go? Oh, I got one hung up on me, you know, yep. you wouldn't come that extra distance and, you know, making those moves. And that helps, like you said, looking at maps or saying you're pulling up on X on your phone or whatever and saying, all right, around here's a little saddle. I might be able to sneak through there and not be able to, you know, get detected or whatever and, and, and get around them or, you know, there's, it's all situational, but. Exactly. Another area I like to look into are bulls. They always just really, turkeys just seem to flock to them. And a bull is neat because you can get to a lot of points and a lot of high points really quickly and efficiently and work around those ridges. And a lot of times I've found those gobblers roost on the tops of those points within those bulls. Yep. Yeah. As, as we were talking again before that, we we both scouted a specific bull that <laughs> that uh, you can think of that really has a lot of that. Yeah. So basically, and, and for anyone listening that's not familiar, we're talking about a bull is basically like um, a, a center spot where there's a bunch of ridges, like little small ridges that come off bigger ridges that go around in a U shape. And that center piece there is, and I'm doing a lot of hand movements and nobody can see <laughs> I'm bad with explaining it, but that's what the bull would be considered. And like you said, and when you're on one of those, even one of those little mini uh, points or spurs that go out, you can hear birds that could be on the whole way around that bull. So that's really beneficial in the mornings for, uh, although you usually don't want to walk to them, but no, usually you wear yourself out getting to them. You know, you'll hear turkeys all over the place, and yeah. your first question is, "I heard him, but I don't know where he's at." Yeah, because <laughs> usually they're way out there, and they echo off of all the other yep. points, and then you drop down. If you you can either walk the whole way around, which may be four miles to get around the bull, or you drop straight down a thousand feet and right back up the other side and get over there and realize he wasn't where you thought he was, <laughs> or they moved. Yeah. More more than likely they move. Yeah. That's that's so funny. That's these turkeys can be um extremely challenging to hunt, but there's it's so fulfilling, you know, getting to getting them and, and you know, you put a ton of time in and there's years 
Uh, was it la- last year? Or did you get one early, or was it a couple no, years ago um, that struggled? Last year, I struggled a decent amount. I had a, a hunt that I guide for every year the first three days. Well, I guess first three days of the first week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I had a guy out, and we had a great hunt. We went back into an area that I actually found the first day. We saw a ton of jakes in there, and I figured, you know, if there's all these jakes here, there's got to be a long beard or two in the bunch, so we went back in there, and sure as shit there was, so we got on him, and he came in, and the turkey actually did something I've never seen before. I've heard about it on Denny Galvis's DVDs before and in talking to other people, but turkey was coming straight to us, and we were in an area... A little more of strip mine, old reclaimed strip mines. We were on the top of this really steep ridge, and there was like a, basically, it was a high wall. For anybody that doesn't know what a high wall is, it's an area where they strip mined in the past, usually for coal around here, and the terrain is almost straight up and down. It's basically impassable, almost like a sheer cliff. So we were set up closer to the field edge, and this turkey was coming through there, and we were in a little bit of beach brush, so we figured we were we were going to be good. It was a first couple days of the season, you know, there wasn't any foliage, and the, the gobbler was right in front of us, coming in on a string, you know, something you always dream about. Hit the last minute, probably when the gobbler was right around the 60-yard mark, he comes out on a, on a logging road they just put in, and when they put these roads in, a bulldozer comes in and pushes up the dirt on both sides of the road, so you've got a mound. That gobbler used a mound to sneak almost the whole way around us to get the sun in his advantage before we could see him. I was twisted around like a pretzel to try to turn the hunter in the right direction because he couldn't see him. I was actually sitting like six or eight inches above him on a stump. Mm-hmm. And he was he was twisted around like a pretzel and the turkey got behind us and he never got a shot at him. Huh. But that was the only opportunity that I could have had until the bir- till the morning I killed my bird which was the, I think it was the third Monday or third Tuesday. Yeah. And I hunted every single day. Yeah. That's, up into <laughs> that. You know, it was a lot of hours and I, I don't sleep in on Sundays like a lot of people do. You know, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm addicted to this. I'm obsessed with it. This is what I live for. So I'm going to be out there, whether it's a monsoon and your chances of even seeing or hearing anything are basically nothing. The only way I look at it is if the only way I'm not going to kill one is if I'm not out there. Yeah. No, that's true. It's uh, you definitely go through some sleep deprivation during uh, time. that time. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm sure like you're the same way I am with you know white tails. The end of the season, it's almost a relaxing type. Uh, you you hate when it ends, but at the same time, you're like, oh, you're relieved for like two days, and then I don't know about you, but I kind of go into like post turkey season depression. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but these birds like so there's there's some years. You know, there's been some years, and I know you've had them like this too, where you can get a bonus tag in Pennsylvania. And I filled both of them in the first couple of weeks, and it's been like, wow, this is awesome. You know, great season. And then there's seasons like last year. I got two tags. I had one opportunity where I missed a bird at, on like the third week, and then I never had another opportunity. And I hunted my ass off last year more than I ever have and didn't, you know, didn't do, I just, couldn't get on them you know it's it's it can be tough you know especially when you have a spring like we had last year and we had such a late spring i mean spring was easily two and a half to three weeks behind yeah from what i can remember i don't think we saw really any foliage come out until i there was a little bit of leaves on the trees the morning i shot my bird so somewhere around like may 15th i don't remember seeing any leaves until which around here is really late 
Usually yeah. you've got some foliage starting to come out by the end of the second week. Yeah, no, definitely. That was it was a weird it was a weird season last year. I'll blame it on that. I'm going to say that's why I struggled. But. Works for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just seemed like too a lot of your turkeys were still grouped up because of the late spring, you know, things were a couple of weeks behind and everybody thinks the late spring would be good because they'd be getting fired up later. But a lot of times that makes it harder because the majority of your hunting season is going to be a few weeks behind. So the turkeys aren't quite ready compared to where they usually are. If you have what they call a normal spring. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, yeah, so just, just in general, I mean, these turkeys are, can be really difficult to hunt, but it's, it's so much fun. Like I just, I love going the new spots and, you know, I double it with deer scouting, you know, like I said, we're li- they're living in similar areas. You'd be scouting points and doing all this stuff while you're turkey hunting, killing two birds with one stone, you know, no, no pun intended. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually I find the majority of my sheds when I'm hunting turkeys too. Yeah. Believe it or not, I step on the majority of them. <laughs> like last year I found a decent elk shed. It wasn't very, it wasn't huge, but it wasn't too bad either. I had a kid out on the youth hunt and I dropped my striker from my pot call and I bent down to pick it up and there was an elk antler laying at my feet. <laughs> and I was on that ridge probably a dozen times trying to scour it, you know, with my wife and with my dog trying to find them. And yeah. there was still blood on the base. So you had to drop it probably the night before and nobody made it back. Really? Yep. That's Hell lucky. That's crazy. That's hilarious though. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, turkey, turkey season in general, I mean, you know, it's, it's coming up here shortly and and like I don't know what what's your kind of game plan going into this season do you have anything specific you're looking for out of this so recently I started to to, to get into the sub gauges so what I mean by sub gauges is I'm mostly how the 12 gauge but a sub gauge is anything to me that's smaller than a 12 gauge so say your 20 gauge your 16 gauge even into a 28 and a 410. I got a 20 gauge last year. I bought a Winchester pump, really nice gun, really like it. Nice turkey choke on Indian Creek. And this year I decided to pick up a 410 too. For what reason? I have no idea, but a lot of my buddies have been shooting the Apex ammunition with the tungsten super shot in it. And they've shown me some patterns and I'll tell you what, Bo, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you showed me one I, I was walking out in my driveway to meet you here and you pulled out a, a target that you had that you shot with the 20 gauge at 35 yards. I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. The, the advantage you have with the TSS is you can shoot nine, eight, nine, ten 10 shot size, you know, size pellets that normally people think, okay, trap and skeet only, but because it's made of tungsten, it's density is so much higher than lead that you're able to shoot these smaller shot sizes and still maintain enough energy to effectively kill a turkey out there. It ranges, you know, it pretty much whatever your gun can pattern out to. So what I want to do is if I can pry the 410 out of my wife and my dad's hands, because they're, they're a big fan of it with it being a five pound gun. Yeah. I really want to kill a turkey with that. I think that would be cool. But I think, like you said, you get two tags in Pennsylvania on the first one. I think I'm going to take the 12 gauge and then after that, I'll play around a little bit. But the 20 gauge is basically as good, if not better, than most guys' 12 gauges with lead 
with shooting these apex ammo and you know with an indian crick choke tube and i put a vortex venom red dot on it so it's it's shooting right where i'm aiming it and i'm excited yeah. to get out and, and see what that gun can do on a turkey i've shot a lot of paper and now i'm ready to see what it does to a turkey yeah no, that's awesome it's funny you say that like you say you know i'll take the 12 gauge out first that's i you know i've i've never killed a spring bird with my bow yet and I want to so bad, but I know the opportunities are so slim. I was like, I got to shoot one with the 12 gauge first. Cause I like killing turkeys. They're, they're, that's fun. Sh- and this year, I, th- I, I don't know. I, I kept going back and forth, but I think I'll probably end up taking the 12 gauge out at first and hope and pray that I kill one early and then get to try to take one out with the bow and, and, you know, run and gun, no blind or anything. Just try to, you know, do it that way. But, and it sounds like, you know, you're doing a similar thing with, with all right let's get let's get one out of the way and and then kind of move from there but so there's one other thing that uh well there's a bunch of things but one thing that comes to my mind that we haven't talked about yet that's a a challenge and may steer people in opposite directions and this again goes all the way up to the appalachian mountains is rattlesnakes yeah, we were just talking about that before we started to record and in a lot of these areas where you know you and i both hunt this time of the year that we're out chasing turkeys, rattlesnakes are starting to come out in these areas too. So that's something you want to make sure that you're you're planning for and you're prepared for. I know most people think, oh, I'm never going to see one. What are you worried about? You know, that can't happen to me. And what was it just recently? I think it was in the last couple of years, we had a couple of people up here that actually got bit and they got some pretty serious injuries that they sustained from this. You know, I think the one guy spent like a month or more in the hospital after he got yeah. bit. Yeah, I think one guy ended up dying too. That was yeah. probably about three, four years ago. But yeah, he had some other issues with it. But still, you know, and if we're as far back as, you know, we are, I just went through first aid CPR training the other day and they were going over snake bites. So I started asking questions. And they're like, but why are you asking all these questions? I was like, well, I hunt a lot of areas that have rattlesnakes. I'm like, so what do you do? And they're like, oh, you know, try to try not to, you know, move a lot and get to the hospital as quick as possible. I said, if I'm two and a half, three miles back on a ridge, what do I do? Lady's like, uh, just get back as quick as possible. I was like, and, and okay. But there's like, I mean, you wear snake boots and, and I just bought a pair of snake gaiters actually to, it's, it's not worth, you know, risking your chances with that. No, it's not. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, Snakes aren't something that people need to be afraid of. I would just say you want to respect them. Like you said, wear your snake boots, wear your snake chops, even though you're, you're going to spend some money on them. Don't get me wrong. I know the boots that I bought, I bought them only pretty much before I went to Florida on an Osceola hunt about seven years ago now. And it's the same pair of boots I bought to go down there. I think I paid almost $300 for them. But the peace of mind that they give you when you're hunting is you know, it, it's worth every penny to me. And why I have them is I don't want to step on one that I didn't see. Yeah. In the dark. Like, yeah. Or as the, everything greens up, the ferns get higher and you can't see, that's where it comes to a problem. So, and again, you made a really good point with saying snakes aren't something to be afraid of. They do not want anything to do with you. When I go snake hunting, I mean, you're hunting them like you'd hunt another animal. You're being quiet and you're sneaking through because you make a lot of noise and stuff. They usually just kind of get out of the way. They want nothing to do with you. They don't want to attack you. But if you do step on one, he's going to be pissed enough. He's going to take a whack at you. Yeah. So. Yeah, you never know. And another thing to keep in mind is when you go to sit down in these places in the dark, 
take your boot and swipe the area where you're going to sit because you never know if there's a rattlesnake that's oh. sitting at the base of your tree. You know, I, I've heard stories from several of my good friends' as dads that over the years, they hunt in these areas and they set up on a big rock and they looked in a crack underneath them and they said they heard some buzzing before daylight when they set up on a turkey and they said they had to roll out of there pretty quick. Oh, I would, I would completely shit my pants if I heard that. <laughs> Or saw that, you know, as a, that's, I've, I've never seen one turkey hunting yet, but now I'm really getting to some areas that are, have more rattlesnakes in the past. So that'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. That's for sure. But that's why I went, bought some snake gators. I didn't feel like breaking another pair of boots, but if you do spend the money on a good pair of boots and you break them in, you wear them a bunch, you'll get your money's worth out of it, you know? Oh, without a doubt. And one thing that I noticed quickly with snake boots is, a lot of times that takes your whole calf muscle out of play for climbing hills. So you're going to be relying on your quads a lot more than you realize. So this is something you want to get well before the first day. You know, I wouldn't get them any later than probably this week if you're going to get them for Pennsylvania. Yeah. Ideally, probably a month ago so you can get used to wearing them around because anybody that's never had them, they're similar to a pair of lacrosse rubber boots you'd wear archery hunting, but these go up to almost your knee, but they're lace up and they're leather for the most part. So they're stiff. And a lot of times they do, they make it a little more harder to walk until you get them broken in. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. It almost feels like you have like a ski boot on or something at first, you know, coming up just cause how stiff they are. But I'm sure like you said, once you get them broken and stuff that, and get used to them, but taking the calf muscle out of them, climbing some of them hills. That's definitely putting a quad workout in. Yes, it is. It, it feels weird the first couple of times you do it. You start climbing a hill and it's like, man, why am I going so freaking slow? <laughs> it's like, normally I can run up this thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. And, then, and you know, we were talking about, um, you're saying a buddy of yours used to wear trail running shoes, like, you know, turkey hunting because he'd be lighter and moving until till you had to run in with a snake and that changed his mind a little bit. Yeah. He was actually making fun of me the one morning. He's like, what in the hell are you wearing those big boots for? He said, what are you scared of running into a cotton mouth or something joking around? And I was like, no, I said, I just don't want to step on a snake in the dark or step on one. I can't see. I said, I'd rather be prepared than get bit back three miles or four miles from the truck and then really have a bad situation on your hands. And he made fun of me for a couple of years. And then the one day he was walking out a a logging road to, to get out to his truck, you know, later on in the season, closer to Memorial Day. And he said he looked down and he saw this giant rattlesnake. He said it must have been four or five feet long, right at his feet. And he said, after that, he said, I'll never make fun of you again. Where'd you get him at? I need a pair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's uh just definitely something to be aware of, but that adds to the kind of the fun of the whole thing. Oh right? yeah. And more of the adventure aspect. Yep. So question I have is how does do deer and turkeys, anything, do they get bit by rattlesnakes? I don't, I've never even heard anything of that. You know, I think that if a rattlesnake probably got close enough to a deer, a deer would just stomp it with its hoof. Yeah. Cause I mean that their hoof is hard, that hard material, you know, so they couldn't puncture that if they bit them. Yeah. I always wondered that. I'm like, cause these deer trails go through like these rocks and mm -hmm. areas where snakes are, especially get later in the summer, snakes spread out. They leave their dens quite a bit. And I always wondered that, but deer are a lot more aware than we are. You know, we're thinking of a million different things we're walking through kind of lackadaisical, but <laughs> yeah. I'm sure deer smell them too, because anybody that's ever been around a snake den or a rattlesnake or a copperhead, they have an odor to them. It's very, very distinct. And I think the deer probably just know enough and smell 
good enough that they can avoid that. And I've seen turkeys eat smaller snakes. I don't know if they'll eat a rattlesnake or not, but I've seen where they eat like garter snakes or, you know, black snakes, rat snakes, things like that, milk yeah. snakes. I did uh, some research on that actually because I was typing in something. I can't remember what I typed in on Google, but something about, uh, oh, I was looking up snake boots for turkey hunting and I saw where it said turkeys eating snakes. And I was like, what? So I started reading up on it and they did say that turkeys can eat rattlesnakes, which is pretty cool. I'm sure it's not going to eat a 52 inch snake, (laughs) but uh, that's pretty cool to see a turkey does that. That's another thing to keep in mind then when you're scouting. Look for rattlesnakes, you'll find the turkeys. That's it. Just sit in the dens. Honestly, it's probably the best bet. It's food. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, don't take that advice. But yeah, Jake, is there anything else you can think of that on that whole, you know, mountain turkey aspect? I mean, I know we could probably go on for days talking about it, but is there anything else specific that you think we should cover? The biggest thing I would say is when you're out there for one have a plan, you know, go in the area, learn your way around, if nothing else, just so you can find your way in and out, especially in the dark, you know, like you and I talked about before we started to record, getting into some of these areas can be a challenge, especially if you find a turkey that's on the edge of a clear cut or where there's a bunch of trees that blew down, like the ash trees that have the the, the beetles around up here that are starting to die off and, you know, they're falling over. So make sure you know how to get in and out of there quietly and just spend some time in the woods and, and enjoy it. You know, go out for walks in the morning this time of year and, and listen for turkeys. Make sure that you have patience when you set up on gobblers. You know, I like to stay at least 45 minutes or an hour if you can on a turkey, you know, because a lot of times they'll come in quiet. Patience kills a lot of turkeys. I'm yeah. starting to find that out, you know, as I get more experience with this. A couple of years ago, me and my dad were out closer to Memorial Day. I think it was a Saturday, Memorial Day weekend. He still didn't get a bird, so I was calling for him, and we were just out hunting, and we heard a bird off the roost, and he flew down, went the other way, and as we were working the bird on the on the limb, we heard another one probably a mile up the valley, and I looked at my dad, and I said, let's go, so we got up above him, and if it would have been me, I would have ran over to him, and I would have probably spooked him an hour before this even hunt even began, but my mm-hmm. dad's like, nope, we're going to sit here put the decoys out and called soft on and off. And it took him an hour, but that bird came in and my dad got him. And it was, huh. it was a real, real big bird. It had over a 10 and a half inch beard and over an inch spurs. So it was a, a solid bird for, yeah. you know, up around here, especially with the snow that we usually get. But that just goes to show you, even though you think you may not be coming, a lot of times once they go quiet, they're on their way. So make sure you're, you're paying attention to that and using the other animals in the woods as clues. I've had Different animals tipped me off before that gobblers were on their way. One hunt comes to mind where I was in college and almost missed a final for this turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my my roommate were coming back and we're almost to the truck and he said, give one more call before we go. So I threw a mouth call in and yelped and cut and a gobbler fired off on a gas line. So we hurried up and ran over there because we knew we had about an hour and a half tops before we had to be back. So we go over there and we sat down at the same tree and he covered one side, I covered the other. And we were sitting there and heard the turkey drum and heard him come. And then he went quiet for probably five minutes and we saw a squirrel that popped up out of nowhere. And he literally circled around a tree and sprinted up the tree. And a couple seconds later, I saw a turkey's head pop up over the hill and shot him and I got him. But that's something to keep in mind that 
a lot of times squirrels and chipmunks and, you know, animals like that will tip you off that a turkey's coming in closer than you think. Yeah, no, that's a good good point. The patience thing is something that I'm still trying to learn, you know, even more. My grandpa is really big in turkey hunting and still does it at 70-some years old, and he kills big birds every year, and he's all about the patience thing. You know, he'll sit there for a lot longer than I will, and he'll just... He'll even quit calling. He'll just sit there and scratch the leaves a little bit and just sit there and wait and wait and wait. And, you know, sometimes that that definitely pays off the whole patient side of things. I'm still working on it. Yeah, you and I both. You know, I'm starting to get better at it. But when they're not gobbling, I have a hard time hunting a turkey that's not gobbling. Yeah. That's a part of this that we enjoy so much. And I enjoy as a calling aspect is that conversation that you have with a wild animal and, and fooling them to think and accept you as one of their own. That's the, the really cool part. And that's, that's why I'm out there. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Well, cool. We'll have to, we'll have to do another one at some point going into even more the the set. There's a whole nother, you know, side oh, of the yeah. setups yep. <laughs> and the calling and, and, you know, you're big in it and the calling and everything else. So like, yeah, there's there's a lot more we could dive into, but I think for one podcast we covered a, a pretty good amount of it. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, like you said, we could we could go into hours and hours and hours of this and then we'd still only be really scratching the surface. You know, yeah. a lot of this is just something that you can't learn by listening to podcasts, watching TV shows or reading books. You just have to go out and experience it for yourself. Yeah, yeah that's the biggest thing is getting out and trying. And if you ever had, you know, a, a want to do that and and like I said, kill a couple birds with one stone if you don't live anywhere near like we're, we're lucky enough to live in the middle of these awesome areas but say you live in you know a city and you have a three-hour drive make it a, a make it a whole weekend thing do a little camping you know have the family stay at the campground in the morning you can only hunt turkeys in the mornings for the most part for most of the season and you know you can combine it with a bunch of things scout and deer at the same time and you know make the most of it do some fishing maybe in the afternoon yeah look for some elk sheds look for some whitetail sheds yeah heck yeah there's there's turkey seasons at a great great time of the year you know and and uh i don't do a whole lot of fishing because i'm so bad at it but so like the first day of fishing's coming up here in pennsylvania this weekend i'll be most likely running the hills instead while everybody's down the streams Yep, you and I both. And another thing everybody <laughs> needs uh, to keep in mind when you're out there is hunting safety. You know, turkey hunting is one of the safest sports out there, but it's only because of the strides that we've made to educate hunters over the, the last couple decades. You know, for the longest time in Pennsylvania, I know at least when I started, we had to wear an or- a solid fluorescent orange hat when we were moving. And it didn't matter if it was in the dark or if it was, you know, during legal hunting hours. And in recent years, they've taken that away, which... To me, I, f- I think is a huge step in the right direction because we're relying on the hunters to only identify their target if there was no orange behind it. And, you know, the, the turkey had to have a beard to be a legal turkey in Pennsylvania, but they relied on that hunter orange. And a lot of times that spooks your turkeys and interferes with your hunt. And a lot in a lot of the studies that they did, they found out the people that got shot while they were turkey hunting actually had orange on. Really? Yep. So I think what happened is people either wore hats that were maybe faded, older. They looked like it had a reddish tint to them. So somebody thought it was a red of a gobbler's head and pulled the trigger without positively identifying what they're shooting at. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really, really good point. And, and uh, definitely identifying the target. And as things like reaping turkeys and stuff gets um, uh, more popular, Pennsylvania wants illegal, but 
to just be careful, right? Yeah, very careful. You know, thankfully in, in Pennsylvania, you can only use a bow or a shotgun, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not allowed to use a rifle, but you know, states like Virginia, you're allowed to use a center fire rifle down there to hunt spring gobblers. I didn't know that either. Yep. So somebody reaping down there, one, I wouldn't recommend it. Two, if you do it, you damn well better be sure there's nobody around you. Yeah. Because somebody could shoot a centerfire rifle hundreds of yards. Yeah. That's that's a very, very good point. You know, it really it really makes you think about it twice. You know, is this turkey really worth it? And you want to make sure, too, on open ground that you're careful using gobbler decoys. You know, a lot of people like to use full strut decoys. Sometimes they can be very helpful or Jake decoys, you know, they can all be effective. effective. I'm not saying don't use them, but make sure when you carry them, they're in a bag or in the back of your vest where you have nothing that that's exposed to the decoy because these decoys they have out now look awesome. You yeah. know, they look just like the real thing. Yeah. I would say my, my avian X fools me all the time when I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do look pretty good. You know, the technology they've got now is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Which it's funny, just not to go on a tangent, but the the decoy I have is the, one of the, the breeder hen ones from AvianX. Problem is it doesn't work a lot of areas in the big woods because it sits so low to the ground. And if yeah. it's in ferns or something, you can't see it anyways. So, oh man. But all right, Jake, well, where, can, uh, where can people find some more of uh, what you do, some of your photography and then and then your podcast as well? So we're on Instagram and Facebook at Elevate Your Game Radio, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Jake Stanish as well. So if anybody's got any questions, have any need any tips on photography or turkey hunting, turkey calling, look me up. I'll be happy to chat with you and give you some tips, help you out with whatever I can. Yeah, or just completely steering in the wrong direction, right? <laughs> yeah, you never know. It depends on if we're hunting the same area or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you got to open up and send them your waypoints first. All right, we're not in the same yeah, area. Yeah, we're I'll, good. I'll give you. <laughs> that's I'll a county g- over. <laughs> well, awesome, Jake. So uh, thanks for coming over tonight and you know recording this with me is long overdue. So excited to get this one rolling out. Absolutely. Thanks, Bo. And we'll have to get some hunting in, you know, here in the upcoming weeks once the season kicks in. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do some hunting together. It'll be a good time, man. I'll take you to all the rattlesnake spots. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, well, if this doesn't release, you know why, or if there's no none that come after it. But all right, buddy, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.